You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A six feet under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Hello, Adrian Bain. Hello, Sam Dingman. How are you on this fine Wednesday evening? I'm okay. I've been in sweatpants all day, which is really rare for me. Like, out of the whole quarantine, which has lasted 5,000 days, Mm -hmm. I have been really good about wearing, like, regular clothes and not, not like there's any shame. I just noticed that I'm less productive when I wear sweatpants all day. But today I was like, I don't have any calls. It was great. So you gave yourself a sweatpants gift. I think it it was just that I got chilly. And I was like, do I put pants on? No, because it's kind of hot. So I was like, what's a nice... But that's a nice thing to be able to... That's a nice relationship to be able to have with sweatpants. That it's not something you sink into because you just can't anymore with this Mm, life. mm -hmm but rather something that is a gift you can give yourself. Yeah, it's a treat. I also got my parents, so I'm like, whatever. Let it Let it bleed. Choose comfort. Free bleeding. Free bleeding over here. As the Rolling Stones said, <laughs> let it bleed. Let it bleed. Wait, did they? They did. They have, an all, they have an album called that. Yeah. Because they are noted feminists. Just kidding. Yeah, sure. Ooh, <laughs> I was, got really confused for a second. Yeah, I'll just be like lying down on the rug. For the next two days. Friends, we have an email address. It's ffg at walt.fm. Mm-hmm. And many of you have been utilizing that email address we recently. Love it. We appreciate it love so it. much. And also, I want to say, I know we have not read all the emails that have come in. That is because we are in the very fortunate situation of having more emails than we have time to read. But that does not mean that we do not appreciate your email you. or that we might not read it soon. So keep them coming. Keep and them coming. Thank you. But this week, we are going to read two emails. Oh, my God. The first is from unofficial co-host Tracy. Yes. Tracy writes, hello, fellow fish heads. Oop, Tracy's taking Whoa, on fish heads. what, Tracy? I, I thought she was one of the ones who was like, don't do that. No, I remember because the hippie is a fish head. Oh, right. But he's an actual pH fish head. I think it's me and Tracy against you at this point, Adrian. Tracy writes, let's discuss Brenda some more, shall we? Adrian posed the question, why does Brenda crave this kind of sexual attention? And I really wanted to give my thoughts on this. Number one, for this episode, it was discussed as though it is a new behavior in Brenda, but it is not. Mm. The very first episode, she bangs Nate in the airport closet 10 minutes after they meet. As we have discussed, yes. as we have discussed, although that w- we did have to have another listener point that out to us. We, In fairness, we both missed that. Number two, what Brenda learns from her dad. I believe we have only been introduced to Brenda's dad once so far. He's never around because he's out having sex with other women. Mm-hmm. This leads me to believe this is not new. This has been Brenda's entire life. Leading her to believe that as a woman, you get attention from men by having sex. Uh, and she wants attention from men because she has lacked it her entire life with her dad. Uh, deep that's, read from Tracy. That's such a good deep read. That goes so well into everything else that we have to talk about about today's episode. Yes. Because that gets hit hard. It does. From her mom. Brenda's relationship with her mom is 
Not good. But if you pay attention, the only good relationship her mom has is with men. She clearly favors Billy, and they have some weird sexual tension. Her mom is constantly talking about and to men. Her mother is more interested in men and having sex with men than a relationship with her own daughter. And we did see her attack a woman on the street. We did. We did. She got more angry at the woman who was having a relationship with her husband than she did with her husband. Yeah, I hate when women hate women. However, the mom makes it clear that you use sex with men to get what you want. Mm. Brenda follows suit. From oh, Mel- shit. From Melissa. Brenda learns from Melissa that sex is nothing more than a job that leads to money and power. Brenda is writing a book. The sex is giving her stories for the book that will then, in the long run, lead to money. That's a, dif- that's a different read on Whoa. Brenda's relationship with the writing than the one I was proud of myself for coming up with last week. And honestly, Tracy's feels more related to the, the spine of Brenda's relationships. That's... I think that's fascinating. I do kind of want to pick at why Brenda is writing the book, but keep going. She's, uh, Tracy continues, from the Johns, <laughs> then uh, quotation marks, that means the, the random men that she's having sex with. She is made to always feel beautiful and sexy, but more importantly, powerful. Mm-hmm. She calls the shots in all these scenarios and definitely plays games with them, mm-hmm. putting her on a power trip and probably the only time in her life when she can feel like she has control of what happens. Totally. Yep. Okay, she's talking about how I talked about uh, validation last week. Mm -hmm. Tracy says, I believe she was looking for validation that it is okay to be in love with someone and sleep around with others. Sex and love are two entirely separate things to Brenda. Brenda is number four. Brenda not realizing it is their anniversary. That's because it was just another random sexcapade in an airport closet. That's what we said. It wasn't supposed to lead to anything more, so why would she hold on to that date? Yeah. But then again, if it, was, if it wasn't his dad's death date, would Nate have remembered? That's a very good question. That is a good question. One last thought. Unbrenda-related, why is no one talking about grieving, supporting each other on dad's death date? It's a huge elephant in the room that is just there. David makes a one-off statement, and Ruth cries alone. This made me so incredibly sad. That's all I have for this week. Until next time, stay six feet above. That's a great sign-off. Fuck. Why didn't we think of that? Because we're not as good at this. Because we're not <laughs> as Tracy. <laughs> Tracy. That's yep. a great sign-off. That's a great sign-off. I think our Wait, Tracy, incredible hot take sign-off every we have- week is, okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. I know. Wait, Tracy, can we unofficially take that? officially please <laughs> we will wait to use it until we will use it you give you... us your blessing yep and you don't have to if you don't want to let's talk for let's <gasps> let's talk for a second about this is this an older which episode is she talking about, she talking I about think, the christmas one i think this was maybe sent i'm just realizing this was probably in reaction to the christmas one okay so this has gone back a little bit mm-hmm. but I did think it was really interesting. Let's focus on the dad really quickly. I yes. did think it was really interesting that there was not, there seemed to be nostalgia, but no real grief for the dad, but also in the way that he was portrayed the whole time. Like it was him like trying to pal around, like sit down with your dad, you know, like take a load off. And yeah, it wasn't anything like overtly sad. That's interesting. Which is really interesting. Nostalgia, but not grief. Yeah. Say more about what would you imagine grief would look like? I feel like we've only, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've only gotten passing glimpses at their grief. They talk about Claire's like 
alleged depression. And like, maybe she hasn't fully grieved, you know? So I feel like for people who, you know, grew up in a funeral home, it's really interesting that they themselves seem to have not taken like the same steps that everybody else who passes through does. But what you just said makes me think about the fact that like Tracy was saying that sex and love are two different things for Brenda, death and loss are two different things for the Fishers. Totally. Because it's work to them. Right. Right. So I feel like they just ironically with, I don't know, they've compartmentalized a a little too poorly. Yeah. But also it's like, how close were they all with their dad individually? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I also think about is... I think what we've hit upon here maybe is, like, the formula for understanding the Fishers. Yeah. Is on the one hand, they have been taught to treat death as a business rather than as an experience of loss. And they didn't even know the man who they would ostensibly be grieving. Totally. I kind of want to keep all of my thoughts for Brenda because I feel like my thoughts for this episode are yes. going to spill out. Great. But Tracy? Tracy, yes, we love it. Keep coming. Crushing it as always. Crushing it as always. Our next email comes from Kelly. Thank you for writing Kelly. Ooh. Kelly writes, greetings. I just found the podcast and I'm not even through listening to all of your season one reviews, but I felt I had to write tonight just to let you know that I'm really enjoying your show. Thanks, We Kelly. are enjoying your email, even though we are not yet fully through it, Kelly. Okay, Six Feet Under is my favorite show ever, Kelly continues, and I loved Mad Men so much I never thought anything could compare. But upon a rewatch of this series in the spring of 2020, which I had this podcast then, okay, can I just say, I originally thought of the idea of doing this podcast in the spring of 2020, because I was like, everybody is rediscovering their favorite shows because they can't do anything right now, Mm -hmm. because they're locked in their houses. Better late than never. Uh, Kelly says, Part of the reason that she was craving rewatching the show was that during the early months of the pandemic, sirens were going off constantly and death was literally outside our doors every day. Yeah. It seemed like the perfect thing to rewatch with my adult son. He loved it as much as I do. Now, that is very interesting, watching it oh, in a yeah. parent-child relationship. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. Okay. Um, Kelly makes a bunch of points here. Uh, she says, I really like when either of you point out, though it seems like Adrian gets this more, moments when the show seems particularly dated. Adrian just flipped her hair in a braggy way. <laughs> so? I bet they heard it. <laughs> Even if I hadn't said anything, they would exactly. have heard it. Exactly. They're like, oh, I, I felt that hair flip. Mm-hmm. I felt that gloat. Mm-hmm. There was a gloat coming through that microphone. Hey, everyone needs a little bit every day. You know, goat is sometimes used as shorthand for greatest of all time. So gloat, greatest lady of all time, Adrian Bain. Okay. Oh my God, honey. Kelly continues. That was so good. I'm interested in this because while I feel strongly that this show will hold up over time due to its insanely universal themes, I do find it interesting that it takes place in a particular time in LA at the turn of both a decade and also a century. Season one episodes fall immediately before 9-11 and then during a wartime Bush period. I'm interested in any and all notes on how the show is dated. Brenda's hair and a later character's Mm. ruminations on electric vehicles and climate. Ooh, you don't know about that yet. I think the cell phone use is less prevalent than today with no texting. I would like to know if you both agree that this is a show that people will enjoy in the year 2080 or if it is too specific to its time like perhaps The Honeymooners. Personally, I think it will live forever much like The Twilight Zone. 
which thrives on eternal human, mysterious, scary, and beautiful universal themes. Kelly, oh my God, I have so many feelings, just strong feelings. I, okay, I love this. I love the comparison because A, big Twilight Zone fan over here. And yeah, the honeymooners seem to be, I guess, like very topical. Like I'm asking, I'm talking about it. With, like, a question inflection, because I'm like, what was that? Well, like, one thing with the Honeymooners, which I have not seen a tremendous amount of, is that one of the, quote-unquote, jokes in the Honeymooners is that the husband husband is always saying to his wife, one of these days, Alice, one of these days, bang, zoom, to the moon! And everybody was like, ha, he's threatening to punch her. <laughs> which, obviously, is <sighs> disgusting. Yeah, yeah. But at That's the time... That's you. That was, yeah, but power dynamics, it's all good. Mm, mm-hmm. Also, I'm kind of into it. Anyway. Mm. Um, we'll talk later. <laughs> but also for the next 45 minutes, yes, we'll also yeah, talk. Yeah. Um, okay. I do think that I would hope that it's more of a Twilight Zone fate mm-hmm. where I would watch the Twilight Zone right now, like anytime, any place. I mean, 2080. I imagine that not that many people are dying if we aren't all dead at that point. Do you know what I mean? It's like Western medicine would have gotten us to a point where like people live for like 300 years. So maybe the dynamics of death are different. But I mean, really, it's only been like the last 100 years that life cycles have expanded because of Western medicine. So I would hope that it's in the Twilight Zone because that's something we all eventually we'll have to deal with you know who's not a fan of western medicine lisa but we'll get to that in a second we will get to that that's interesting so you're saying because i don't for you it's a question of whether science has expanded our lifespans because i also feel like yes there are definitely clues in the way that it's shot and their clothing and everything that indicate that it's the year 2000 2001 but you could easily swap all of that out and probably have 90% of the scripts be like the same thing if you set them today or if you set them maybe like 50 years ago. I think probably the ways that they talk about sex is different. I think the one thing I wonder about a little bit is because my initial thought in response to Kelly's email was that. Death is universal. Mm-hmm. Death will always be, death is something humans have been trying to wrestle with since there were humans. Since we understood death. And we have not, considering how long we've been around, gotten very much better at it than we ever were. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a bold proclamation to make, but I think I stand by it. Um, but already before the pandemic, we were in such a protracted period of siloing from each other retreating into spaces of of agreement around um, news and culture, not exposing ourselves to anything different, and increasingly fleeing in-person environments where we might have to deal with uncomfortable things. And I think the pandemic exacerbated those trends. Yeah. Tremendously, and I think we don't yet know what the long-term impact of all that going to be. So fucked up is going to be because right now we're all, at least in New York City, I don't know if it's like this where others are listening. We're engaged in this 
very intense exposure therapy experiment where we're just jumping back into life, going out to comedy clubs, going to house parties, just kind of throwing ourselves right back into it without really, at least in our case, being terribly cautious about what it's going to feel like to expose ourselves to all these... Oh, I'm exhausted. ...societal and cultural elements that we have not felt in uh, 15 months. Yeah. And I think the jury's out on on what the f- impact of that is going to be and whether there are some things that are continue going to continue to be remote in a way that they became and because of all that the whole meta conversation in 6 feet under about why don't we just face things why don't we just confront things why don't we just be real about what we're feeling in this episode Claire quotes Spoon River the woman who says, like, I will keep my secrets under a mound where you will never find them or mm-hmm. something like that. If anything, I think we're, it's becoming easier to do that. To bury and avoid? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Wait, you're jumping the gun a little bit. I am. That's okay. I just want to flag it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, We're very fresh off the recent watch. I just mean. If- I love that, though. I love what you said. I think that's so astute, though, because it is like you can just hide behind your phone and if I wanted to, like, I could just look at beautiful photos of, like, islands and women in beautiful Disney dresses and all of the other bullshit that Pinterest and Instagram, like, tailor towards me. Right. And I don't have to go outside and face the man who's been screaming all day because he's having a psychotic break and we live next to one building has, like, assisted living or something and... Every once in a while, there's this one dude who just screams, and he just screams, and he screams, and he screams. Right. And, like, I can easily just continue to ignore that, you know, like. Right. And and that person maybe feels like, or other folks in this neighborhood maybe feel like, the more new fancy buildings that go up that they can't afford to live in were just engaged in this extended practice of walling the discomfort of people who make very little money and have mental issues out of our, we just are literally shielding ourselves from it. Yeah. Wait, this is what I wanted to add before you said just what you said. Um, Is like, if I wanted to, I could just turn the TV up more, you know, and be Uh like, all right, I'm clocking you out, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of like sitting and being like, which I do sit and I am like, this man is going through a lot of pain right now. And that's what we all did during the pandemic was turn the TV up. Just turn the TV up. Let me just get through this. The, the doom scroll yeah. as much as we could. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that was unhealthy or bad. Like, what were we supposed like, to do? what were we supposed to do? Speaking of the doom scroll, I saw two things on the internet just in the last two days that make me think about what you were saying about how we retreat into our phones. Mm-hmm. One was uh, somebody put up a tweet about how saying like, hey, just kind of a PSA if you have a friend who you know is going through something, but you see them being really goofy on Twitter, they're not being disingenuous. That's just a way for them to process their grief. Which I thought was an interesting point for that person to make, but it also was an indication of how much we have internalized the idea that someone's public behavior on social media is somehow an accurate representation of their inner life. No, not at all. You know that. And I know that, but culturally, I will we're say, really wrestling with that right now. Yeah, I will say that there, there is this slew of Instagram posts that I notice of like, girl in cute 
sporty outfit and then she like lets her belly pooch out. I fucking love that because there's all these photos of like, I am such a perfect tight woman and this is what I eat every day and this is how I work out. And I love that there are a brand of like a slew of women who are like, this is me looking perfect. I'm like sucking everything in. And then this is what I'm actually look like relaxed. And I just, I think that's so great. But there are, even though I know that, there are still times where I look at certain people and I'm like, you have the coolest life and you're just like so cool and happy. And, and that's not true. And not to be cynical. Cause and I, also if you're posting, you're probably like asking for attention. Sorry. What? Well, that's what, that's the thing. Like I appreciate the point you're making, but in both cases, people are putting that up in exchange for the currency of likes. Yeah. I honestly, like I do notice that I put up, Instagram posts when I'm like, I kind of just want like a little bump. Just a know? little dopamine. Yeah. And yeah. I really, really, really rarely post. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need it. I don't ever feel like I, like I'm not, I'm not like, oh my God, everyone needs to like see what my life is like. Like mm-hmm. I just, anyways. Yeah. In a similar vein, another thing that I think we get a hit of dopamine from is judging other people's choices and decisions. Oh yeah. And. Heard. One of the other thing that I saw on the internet recently about that was people were literally calling Ellie Kemper a KKK princess on the internet yesterday. What? Because this story that wasn't even a new story, but Twitter discovered it yesterday, that she was crowned the queen of a society in the city where she grew up. I think it was St. Louis. That was like a social club that is no longer racially segregated. It hasn't been since the 70s. And it was not segregated when she was crowned the queen of it, but it had very racist origins in that you couldn't join if you were black or if you were Jewish Mm. and probably anything besides a wasp. And that's obviously gross, but does the fact that for whatever reasons of familial pressure, Ellie Kemper felt the need to be a part of this thing when she was 19... And the fact that though it had these racist origins, it does not at least anymore appear to be an explicitly racist organization mean that we all should now hate her or call her a KKK princess when in fact there is no affiliation between this organization and the Ku Klux Klan. That's horrifying. It's really scary. That's all. There's also the difference between like, sure, there might be these like long standing pre-existing establishments that like don't have good foundations but that doesn't mean that the people today like if ellie kemper was also like being blatantly racist to people that's different right well do you know what i mean like this is the thing is the the argument that it seemed like was being made by a lot of people yesterday against ellie kemper was how can you claim to be an advocate for black lives how can you claim to be an advocate for all of these things if you once appeared at this thing and it's like let's say she actually was a racist when she was 19 Let's go ahead and posit that, even though it seems very unlikely that that was true. Isn't it still good that in her adult life she came around to having respect for black lives? Like, would we prefer that she had just stayed a racist? Right. Like, that's insane. The idea that she, again, I don't think Ellie Kemper is a racist, but in this made-up example where she was one, there's this idea now that because of this discourse that we have— people cannot contain 
transition and multitudes and nuance. Sure, yeah. And that is the kind of thing that TV shows like Six Feet Under celebrate. And I don't... And make us d- face. Yes, yeah. and Mad Men, to Kelly's point in this email. And I think she's right that a lot of programming now is not about that. Mm. We, I, I, I'm, This is not an original point, but we have moved very much away from the era of characters and towards the era of like a lot of shows now are more about concepts and and cultural commentary mm-hmm. and narrative innovation not that those are bad things but i think that is in part a response to an uh, an unwillingness on the part of audiences to hold as much complexity sure thank you kelly there's more to kelly's email uh which we will get to in a future episode I think we have to stop it there because we still haven't even talked about this week's episode and there's a lot to talk about. So thank you everybody for writing. FFG at WALT.FM is the email address for anyone else who wants to. As you can see, we get very excited when you send us things. Mm -hmm. And now, season two, episode 10. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to the conversation. Season two, episode 10 begins with a man named Ben having a heart attack, I I think. Yeah. While he takes out his recycling. And it goes everywhere. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to do the right thing by recycling and it still goes everywhere. Ooh, that's interesting. So you think it's in spite of his best intentions. He is, he's not, he's not rewarded for having good intentions. Sure. Which interesting. is very parallel to Carla, which we'll talk about. Ooh. What was your take? I took it more as um, the, uh, a connection between recycling and having kids. And that when we have kids, there are parts of ourselves mm. that are recycled and that replicate and repeat out into... Um, out into the world and some of it to your point is what we intend and some of it spills out of control and we don't get to decide what which of those things it's going to be i'm having thoughts in real time and another thing is our our kids live on in this form our kids and their recycled components of ourselves live on long after we're gone So that's good. There's a lot of stuff in this episode about kids and the trials that come with them and the unexpected and unintended consequences of them. Even this is a weird place to start. Even the people at the sex party who are passing around the Coke, they found it in their kid's room and they're sitting there complaining about their kids when, as they do their kids Coke, talk about, Parts of yourself being recycled that you're not comfortable with. Full Johnson. Full full frontal, too. Full... Th- what? That guy was totally naked. He had on the tidy whities I don't think he did. He did? No. I think that the drinks were tastefully covered up in an Adam and Eve kind of a 
design. Listeners, was there was there tasteful, underwear? Was there tasteful? Let's get to the pressing question about was this there, episode. Was there underwear? Um, obviously, this also comes up around Claire. Uh, Burn asks Ruth, "Are you even aware of your daughter's depression?" And Ruth is horrified and dashes into the bathroom. Right. Um, obviously, Carla runs over the unhoused man when Taylor is complaining about her shirt being uncomfortable. And Carla says, can I even just get a break? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Nate has his fantasies about all the children mm -hmm. he may or may not have fathered. And the real one that he's trying to father. And the real one. And Brenda's father. And Brenda's father returns. Ugh. And we learn even more about the unhealthy parts of her parents' relationship that have been recycled in her around boundaries. Yeah. So, a combination of those things, intentions and, mm -hmm. and recycling. Mm -hmm. Let's begin with Claire taking photographs of Ugh. the dead bodies. As we were talking about in the intro, uh, creating a certain distance between the experience of death and the experience of actual loss. Right. But also probably pushing ahead with the, her inspiration from... The experience she had of taking photographs of Billy in the previous episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like she's like a little creative spark has been opened inside of her and no one knows how to foster it. Nobody. And the one person who like kind of did, again, set really bad boundaries, aka Billy. So yeah, I feel like she's a little like stuck and frustrated because she's like, I don't know where to I don't know where to go. I don't know where to take this. But like even Parker is like, yo, this is really good. I did love that they gave Parker a, actually a pretty solid read yeah. on Claire's photos. She says it's like they're all cuddled up in bed with you telling you their own story. I know. I was like, don't go into some weird necrophilia shit, Parker. I was like, don't. <laughs> Wait, but can I say but something about that? I thought that was really lovely. I did too. I thought that was an indication that like Parker, her eyes actually are open. She yeah. is a, a perceiving person. She just well, has a lot of pressures in her life that make her act in shallower ways. I think that she's like Claire where they both are nervous about being genuine people. So they have these facades. Claire is, and whatever, everything's dumb and I'm apathetic. And Parker is like, let's fuck. I guess I'm like, oh, thank God that Claire is a friend. You know, even if she's like not fully okay. I also think if nothing else, she is somebody maybe the only person other than Sarah, her aunt, mm -hmm. who is also problematic in some ways, who is at least seeing some part of Claire that Claire wants to be seen for. Yeah, totally. Instead of being called, like Nate, oh, another kid thing, Nate calls her like a fucking child. I know. Can we pivot to that? Let's do it. Because... What did you take from Nate's response? I th was honestly really taken aback. I guess I took that Nate response as Nate is spending this entire episode realizing that he's running away from responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the funeral home is the first thing that he has invested a sense of responsibility in in his entire life. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that his response is 
we could be sued. I think that's him clamping down really hard on the fact that he has this one thing in his life that he has been able to be responsible about. Mm -hmm. And his sense of self as a responsible person is under such relentless attack from all other sides that Claire undermining that feels like the last straw. Wow. What did you take from it? I just was kind of like, what anger are you misdirecting right now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can see how that's inappropriate because they did not have the family's permission. But part of me was like, it just felt so over the top, especially because we don't see like Nate is not the character to blow up at people. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting because David is typically the one who's like a little bit more stricter to the rules and he didn't say anything. I think that one I still need to think about. Well, but that's interesting because similar to the way that with Keith, we have been talking about how David has been become a character who's able to be more in tune with his emotions and hold more emotional gray space in his dynamic with Keith. He's also started doing that at the funeral home more. Mm -hmm. He's also started to be less obsessed with everything going perfectly or being the way he thinks it's supposed to be in that environment and in his relationship with Nate. Oh, that's so that's so interesting. I didn't notice that. That he has definitely eased up. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is Nate is able to shoulder a lot of the responsibility, but he definitely does seem chiller at work now. Like that scene where and they... Nate was the one who was like really uptight about um, Rico and his like kid problems, you know, being like, I don't have a sitter. So... Yes, although mm-hmm. in that moment I felt like it was both of these things. It was Nate feeling like he needs to really hold on to this funeral home res- sense of responsibility and also being confronted with the fact that Rico's a fun dad. Hmm. Like he he has his kid there at work and they're goofing around. They're having a great time. My dad knows everything. My dad knows everything. What do you know? Yeah, he idolizes him. Yeah. Hmm. And I believe that Rico's a good dad. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Let's stay with Nate for a moment because there's obviously a lot of Nate stuff to talk about. Um, Very early in the episode when Lisa shows up and apologizes to Nate for being a hostile, for being hostile, which is just heartbreaking. AKA hormonal because she's pregnant with his child. Yeah. Lisa's, Lisa's persistent tendency to take the fall for everyone else's emotional shortcomings is... It's it's beautiful and sad. Yeah. Speaking of uncomfortable things that are said in that first conversation between Nate and Lisa, Nate says, regarding the legal documents, I thought we were going to be more casual. Yeah, fuck you, Nate. And I thought, how many times has he said this yeah. to women in his life? Well, I think we later see a tally. <laughs> Yes, we do. Jesus. You know, and like... At least four. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that Lisa definitely gives people the benefit of the doubt. And she sees the best in people, but that she never gets it back. 
at least we never see her get it back. And Ugh, that's kind that's of like so true. what happens when you do roll out the red carpet for somebody else is they fucking walk all over you. Yeah. They're never going to scoop you out from under there and be like, you know what? I chewed you wrong. Let's be, you know, it's never the dynamic between. I would love if Nate and Lisa got together. I think that sounds so much healthier, but Nate's not there because he's not used to treating someone really good in like a respectful, egalitarian way. And his relationship with Brenda is not evolved enough. And we know that only because we're seeing both sides of it. Yes. But if it if both parties were a little bit more emotionally evolved, or even if Nate was a little bit more emotionally evolved, he would know to not be with Brenda. And what you are saying is exactly what Lisa calls Nate out for in that yeah. last scene. Yeah. Another thing I really like in this episode, Lisa Wise, is that she says, I wish everybody could just embrace the mess. Like, life is a mess. I know. I love and that. And that is something we were talking about in the intro of this episode, but also that is the dynamic that's unfolding, perhaps to pivot, between Keith and David is, Ugh. and Carla, because both David and Carla express in this how stressful it is to them that Keith wants everything to be so perfect all the time. Yeah. Literally not messy in the sense of no coffee stains on the couch. Yeah. And Keith cannot deal Keith with is that. going to pop his top. Can I say something? The movie Keith Rented. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask about that. I don't know what it is. The Great Escape. Ugh. Because he's trying to escape. Trying to get the fuck out. How he's feeling. Okay, so let's talk about David and Keith. Okay, let's talk about when David confronts Keith. Because I think that just cuts right to the crux of this is going back and thinking about season one, David. Was it that? Because David was a mess. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Well, actually, there were quite a few buts about it. Um, That was not a pun intended, but <laughs> oh ayo. God. Hey. No, but he was reckless. And the way that Keith is written and acted, you just love him because it's like you are this moral high ground. But maybe that's only because David was such a mess that we didn't actually notice that Keith is like this obscene perfectionist, but also like season one, Keith is so different because he hadn't gone through all of this trauma. Like right. Keith has gone through insane trauma that he re absolutely refuses to deal with. Yeah. And it is causing some type of an emotional cancer in him. Perhaps the show is asking us to live the Lisa Creed and em embrace the mess of Keith. Mm. Because you said in the middle of this, like, Keith is making me so sad in this episode. Keith makes me so sad. Because also David is like, finally, like, we're really together and I'm in a better place now. And all of a sudden, Keith is just, Keith can't even have the conversation. Can't even muster up the energy to be like, you know what? And he, like, makes fun of David, too, about it, which I'm like, dude. You're running away from some shit. He's making his great escape. Ugh. Now, yes. Keeping in the Keith and Yes. How do we feel about David's... Adrian just made the touchdown pose. Betrayal. Sorry, which betrayal? Of his sister. Of Taylor. Taylor. 
Oof. Because we see Taylor be so excited. David's here. David is comforting. David is funny. David is chill. I trusted him. One thought I had about that is that there are two instances of misplaced blame at the very end of the episode. And one is Taylor blames David right. for the loss of her mom. And Brenda blames Melissa yes, for, her, for her own behavior. Melissa is, honestly, Melissa seems like her life is pretty together. Melissa, like, best boundaries of anyone in the show. She truly does. Like she, pro- maybe she isn't like, oh my God, I'm doing my life's work. I'm doing God's work, you know? Perhaps not. But she does have, she has such a strong sense of who she is. And we really haven't, I would say that Keith is the only other one that we've really seen that with. But then we can see how trauma can take you down. Yeah. You don't face it. If you don't face it. I took you away from a point you were making about Taylor, though. No, I just am kind of like, it's like, can't, does, I mean, like, Taylor's a child. So can she really be upset at David? Especially if she was like, oh, I'm just kidding. You know, like, I don't know. She's a kid. She's a kid. That's all I wanted to say. She's been she's been placed in an impossible situation. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, definitively. Yeah. So how do we feel about Keith turning his own sister in? That that one cuts deep. That one cuts deep. Like, what do you think Keith is trying to say? Well, it's interesting because there's so much contained in his decision to do that because Mm -hmm. on the one hand it's very on brand with the superhero version of Keith that we recognize from the first season in the sense that he cares about justice at the same time. What an act of love towards David that when David David doesn't get anybody killed. Mm -hmm. But when David has his screw-up in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. Keith helps him sweep it under the rug. I know. And he won't do that for Carla. He also does it with Claire. Also does it with Claire, that's right. He won't, like, I just, there is some unresolved sibling shit. And in Keith's eyes, it's like, Carla, you, I need to, like, get you under control and there will be law and order. There will be law and order. And I feel like he just perceives Carla as being really reckless. But I also feel like we see Carla really trying her best and her being like, I'm trying to do the best that I can under the circuit. Like, she's having an argument with her kid and hits a homeless guy. No, she's not paying attention, but like, which is not great, but she's like trying to take care of her kid right there, you know, like. It, there's no excuse for what she did. There's no excuse for I mean, like, she could have turned herself in, but it wasn't malicious. It was an accident, you know? It was it was selfish, but it wasn't malicious. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, not the act to kill, the act to hit and run. Right. That's what I'm trying to distinguish is, like, she's not on a murdering rampage. She just- No, certainly had, not. Had, like, a moment with her kid- and shouldn't have had that fight in the car. Right. So, um, do you think? So, I just, I, yeah, I'm kind of like, Keith, that's so, yeah. 
do you think that Keith blames their father, who was abusive, Mm -hmm. for these, what he see, where he perceives as shortcomings in Carla, and their father was irresponsible in these ways. Carla is now dealing with depression and substance abuse, and that in a way, Keith is trying to retroactively punish their father by hmm. punishing Carla. Possibly. I mean, what well, also is the relationship with the mom? Because the mom is super lax and is like, Carla's fine. Right, right. that's true. She's going to figure it out. So it is probably this like extended parental, like our parents fucked up. You have to get punished. And like, unfortunately he can't put her in a timeout because she's a, she's a grown adult right. with a child. And she killed somebody. She did kill someone. But here, I think you just laid out pretty clearly where Keith gets his perfectionist streak from. His parents were so messy. Yeah. Lean into the mess. Yeah. No, thank you, says Keith Charles. Yeah. Um, speaking of Ugh. messiness. I will clean up the living room. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Again, this podcast is merely a series of coded messages between Adrian and I about our relationship. Um, let's talk about the queen of messiness, at least in season two, Brenda Brenda. Chenoweth. Nice. Who is really... Brenda's one big old eye roll, this one. Oh my God. Because it starts with her going to the therapist and literally tuning her out and not just like thinking about, okay, I don't like what this lady's saying. I'm going to think about what I'm going to have for lunch. She literally rephrases Mm -hmm. what she says, like what she thinks she's saying. And she's like, that's also the first time that we get any semblance, any glimpse into Brenda's like inner thoughts. Well, I don't think we hear her inner thoughts before. Yes, but I have two things to say about that. The other time we do sort of hear her inner thoughts is when she's barking at the therapist in the flashback. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is in a way her, but that's her just trying to mess with, mess up the therapist thinking this is Brenda like reframing things to suit her own narrative. As you pointed out a couple episodes ago in the dinner scene, we hear voiceover from Ruth. We hear Ruth's thoughts when she has Robbie over. And she's not smiling and nodding, but internally she's thinking, you're incredibly tiresome. I don't ever want to talk to you again. All these things. No. In this episode, the second time we see that device used, it's Brenda. And then later in the episode, we see Ruth finally connect with Brenda for the first time. I know. It's very tender. The two people who have been literally struggling struggling to bring together their internal and external monologues. Brenda literally says at one point, what does she say? She says, she says, I'm living in two realities to the therapist. Oh yeah. yeah. So I feel like the voiceover is like a literalization of that. Mm-hmm. But then I think it's interesting that the only other person who has come to grips scenically with their two realities is Ruth, and it's at the end of this episode that Ruth and Brenda finally come together. Hmm. Do they come together, though? Well, do we think 
that it is the conversation with Ruth that makes Brenda friend break up with Melissa. Oh, interesting. I perceived it as who does she pan? Who does Brenda pan to? Who is she? She looks at someone first. Does she look at her mom first? When Brenda's sitting there, just kind of like observing, right? Not enjoying anybody else's company. She pans over to her dad and, and Melissa. Melissa. But who does she see before that? She looks at a few other people. I can't remember. Maybe I'm misremembering. But anyways, cut this. So in that scene, it's Brenda's dad and Melissa. And my thought was that if I was Brenda, I would see the two of them and be like, this is what I think. I think that Brenda doesn't fully understand what Melissa does because we don't see Melissa have sex, right? Melissa's like, I'm here, I'm hanging out, whatever. She literally says sex is dumb. At the sex party. At the sex party. But the lifestyle party. But I think that Brenda thinks that Melissa is like this loose freewheeling whatever, but she just has connections. She just knows where everything is. Whereas her, she knows that her dad has no boundaries whatsoever. So I feel like she looked at Melissa and her dad and she's like, they're going to fuck. Something's going to happen. Right. And I can't let that happen. And I have no other way of articulating it other than friend breaking up. That's mm. what I was thinking. Oh, that's interesting. So she's because thinking, I think she was like starting to realize, like, oh, maybe I'm starting to have the bound, bad boundaries that my own parents have. Mm. Adrian, I think you have nailed it. Because what does Brenda say in the fantasy version of her conversation with Ruth? She says, "What I'm realizing is that there are no boundaries." Yeah, and that's actually most terrifying of all. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got Brenda. Sign sealed delivered. Sign sealed delivered on Brenda. We Stevie wondered Brenda. Okay. We're having fun. We're having a blast. Um, I mean, I guess we have basically. Ruth and Nikolai. Oh, Ruth and Nikolai. Yes. And we didn't talk about Nate and his, his abortion babies. His many children. Let's, let's do that. And then we'll pivot to Ruth and. Okay. Um, that was horrifying. Talking about Nate and this like little girl that like crops up into. Mm -hmm. That was really scary. How do you feel about when the kids were like, you killed me? Do you think that's fair? Well, I think it's understandable that in the depths of Nate's anxieties, that he's feeling Mm -hmm. about all this stuff that he would worry that that's how they feel quote unquote feel. I mean, or would feel if they had been allowed to come alive. I mean, I I think he's, he's in a place where he's listening to all the worst possible stories about himself and his choices, which he needs a dose of because he clearly hasn't thought that far. He clearly has, behaved very poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also thought it was interesting that he went out to pour the water. The idea is of of the water ceremony in the funeral, as David tells us, is that uh, 
it cleanses you of your misdeeds towards the person mm-hmm. before they pass away. Mm-hmm. And he takes the water outside and he's going to pour it on the tree. And it seems like he's realizing that he, he can't be cleansed of mm. the choices that he has made. And it can only be held responsible for the choices that he makes going forward. You don't think that... Because I think the next thing we see him do is tell Lisa that he wants to be in their kid's life. Yeah. Which does not go well for him either. But No. Well, don't you think... I thought he was having a moment of closure with all of those little kids. Because mm. he looks over and he's like, we do see four of them, which we didn't. What do we think... Sorry. We see four of them, which it's this older girl who he might have had when he was, like, a teenager or something. And then this little, then Lisa's other baby, and then this, like, Starbucks girl. Mm -hmm. What do we think of the little Thai boy? We're assuming he's Thai. What do you think he represents? I mean, I think that is... uh blending of the narrative of the fact that he is overseeing a Thai funeral mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, perhaps he had a Thai girlfriend at one point. Interesting. Or uh, at least a one night stand with somebody who was Thai. I don't think that he represents a, ch- a pretentative child that Nate could have had. I think he represents enlightenment. Hmm. Because doesn't he hold, he holds the bowl and he says something. Yes, he's holding the little bowl. No, he's, well, he's holding Margaret's drink. That's what he's holding. Oh, that's right. That's right. So that is like a weird blending, but he says something that's like really deep and profound. And I think that it's like in Nate's subconscious, he's blended the conversation about enlightenment with Rico's kid, who's like about the same age and size and stature as this little Thai boy. And he's blended those two together to represent enlightenment. Right. Hmm. What do you make of that? Um, that it's accessible to Nate. Hmm. That it's not... That he has the chance to learn from things that are in his life in the present. Yeah. And isn't just doomed to repeat exactly the mistakes of his past. Like he's finally becoming aware. I think it's like in a sense, like enlightenment is a sense of awareness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But then he does not go far enough because when he tries to be really enlightened with Lisa, she well, justifiably throws it back in his face. He thinks that he's, I think that if anything, he thinks he's being enlightened, but he's actually not. But he should hopefully be more enlightened now because because of that moment of conflict. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, oh, that's what not. Like so much of being, I don't know, being enlightened, but like so much of growing up is being like, oh, don't do that. Don't treat people like that. And I feel like he just hasn't had that opportunity to like really, he's just coasted. He has tried to be casual. Can't we just be like more casual? Fuck you, man. That made me so upset. 
Fuck you. She is wrecking her body right now. Ugh. Anyways. Lastly, Ruth and Nikolai, what do we make of it? I mean, I think in a way we already talked about it with... So obliquely with Ruth's exchange with Brenda at the shower, where she says, I, I resented you because you were willing to just let Nate be who he is. And I could never do that. Yeah, just she, like she can't let Nikolai be who he is. Yeah, she says that whole like smothering thing. Well, his place was gross. So Nikolai is a... He, mm. He He's still got that bachelor pad. Talk mentality. about keeping it casual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess like I thought that was really interesting that Nikolai was like, no, I still want my own space. I love you. Because he's the one who courted her. He's the one who went, you know, bent over backwards. But also, I think that after, what, six weeks or so of living at her house, he just give him his fucking space, man, you know? Nick, although, yes, although he was also really taking advantage of that situation. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I think that Ruth loved it. I agree. A thought that I had was, do we think Ruth liked taking care of Nikolai? Definitely. Because she never got to take care of Nathaniel. Nathaniel and his, she just went from having him to not having him. Probably. And she also is like having this empty nest moment, even though all of her kids still live at home. Yeah. But like none of them want that emotional but also, I think she's actually learning to connect and not just protect and take care of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or this is her attempts to redo that. Yeah. And she's smothering him a little bit. And her ability to connect, she's discovering, is incredibly potent. In yeah. Because like, if we do take the interpretation that it's her connection with brenda that makes brenda mm-hmm. oh no but we just decided we like your inter- interpretation more well plus, plus exists. maybe it's her connection with brenda springboards brenda into noticing her dad with melissa and then deciding to friend break up also speaking of fathers and speaking of like messed up relationships with their fathers brenda's dad like never embraces her he just does kind of casually walk in like the boyfriend, like the live-in boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't mm-hmm. pay rent. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even acknowledge. It's just like, yeah, I can so see how fucked up she is <laughs> based from her parents. Yeah. An interesting thing, I think, maybe as a last thing, is that Lisa says to Nate, you're, when are you ever going to learn to not put yourself first? Mm-hmm. And what? And and Melissa's last line to Brenda is, "You can't deal with the truth of who you are." Yeah. So and like it's like this weird thing where she and Nate are in some ways dealing with a, similar things, but they can't find connection about it. Mm-hmm. Which, actually, now that I've said that out loud, that makes sense. If they're going through similar crises, obviously they would exacerbate them in each other. Yeah, totally. Well, also, they're just not evolved yet. They're just not evolved people yet. And that makes any relationship a lot more difficult to deal with. Because now, like, even if we go back to David and Keith, it was very obvious how David wasn't evolved. And now he kind of is, and we're noticing the moments where Keith is not as evolved. And it just, as 
both of the brothers kind of commiserated is like, is being in a relationship just doing what you don't want to do? Right. Smash cut to going to Margaret's house for the exactly. green drink. And I'm like, fuck that. No, it's not. Being in a relationship is about doing is about having experiences that are magnified because the person that you're with makes them so much more enjoyable to do. And when you do have to do things that you don't want to do, doing those things with that other person makes them more fun. Yeah. What do you not want to do? So gold star for us. And good boundaries award for this episode to Melissa and Nikolai. Mm -hmm. All right, everybody, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening as always. And also, as always, if you would like to respond to anything you've heard, you can do that at ffg at walt.fm. Adrian Bain probably has something to say to you. I have another podcast, and I think I'm going to release an episode next week. Whoa. If I get it done. Stop the presses. I know. Well, the press isn't really what we call an audio, but... Can I woman explain this to you? Sure. And it's called Power Dynamic. The podcast is called Strangers Abroad. It is a narrative travel podcast, and I will be doing a four-part series on mine and Sam's adventures out west. So please download, rate and review, subscribe, click all the things, like all the likes at Strangers Abroad. And if you yourself have a travel story, I will soon start taking pitches for them. So it's got to be good. It's got to have high stakes. And you can email us at strangersabroadpodcast at gmail.com. And that is all. But check it out. Check it out. What's it all about? It's about travel. travel. It's about travel. I also have another podcast. It is called Family Ghosts. And this week we released a brand new episode to all new stories. There is a Six Feet Under clip in the intro of the episode. A little Easter egg for the fish heads. But it's two stories by two really wonderful storytellers about parents who live secret lives. But unlike what happens in Six Feet Under, these parents decide at certain moments to reveal their secret lives to their kids find and follow family ghosts wherever you're listening to this and we will talk to you on this next week goodbye